How are you? How are you? I'm good. You know, I, I was just trying to do a Skype call test, uh -oh. as, I, as I always do, and it wasn't connecting. And so I went and I checked my speed of my internet, and my internet was really fast. And then uh, and then you called. Well, I'm I'm here. I'm I'm enjoying your fast internet. <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's super so feel, fast. does it feel fast on your end too? It feels I it's it's so fast. I you some I bet you that your audio is getting to me quicker than it's coming out of your mouth. Like if we, wow. if this was video, I would get the audio feed before, before you even said it. Wow. Well, you're, you're like really loud right in my ears right now. Okay. But then I realized that's because I had my microphone, uh, headphones turned up. So I turned them oh, down a little I, bit. So you're not quite as loud. Okay. Well, I don't mind that. Is that okay? For you? I don't, I don't mind it at all. Turn them down. <laughs> Turn them down. Uh, Don, I'm still having uh, Skype recorder, call recorder issues. Oh. I up updated it, so I don't know. But anyway, you you record. You do you you do the recording. I, and then, I, I, uh, I'll, I'll do me, and then I'll do you, too. <laughs> perfect. Good. And it's, it turns good. I'm glad we have a fast internet to make those two things happen. Yeah. Um, I'm in uh, – I'm at home, which where I also have super, super fast internet. Mm -hmm. Um and I'm uh, speaking out of a shoe, uh, as I as I do at home. <laughs> oh, of course. And and on a, um, it's a little it's a little echoey, but mm. I've um, I'm also uh, covered things with a towel, uh, things that were where my audio might bounce. <laughs> what what things so, have you covered with a towel, man? I'm covering a lot of things with a towel. I'm I'm I I can't tell you everything, but I'm covering at least part part of my desk. It's a family and, podcast. It is family podcast and a keyboard. Some of my keyboard is covered uh, with a yeah with with an uh, with a towel. So huh. so I think I think we've got to figure it out here. Yeah, you don't sound too you don't sound too uh, too weird or echoey on on this end. So one thing okay. uh, yeah. that I have uh, I so I ticked off a lot of stuff on my follow up list, mm. um, but I did not tick off one of the things which uh, I don't I don't think we talked about. But I am uh, so I, I I did I think we've only recorded one podcast when I've been in my my home space uh, since we moved. And uh, I still have nothing on the wall in my office. Um, I have, I have bookshelves and I have, uh, my turntable and all my records are here. Um, but I don't, I have a stack of pictures and, and accoutrement, uh, that, uh, that I will put on the wall. Um, uh, maybe this week that should help, help deaden the, the echo. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's good. <clears throat> so, and, and also if we get in the mood to, to listen to an album, uh, you can, you can put an album on the turntable. <laughs> I can, I can. So the first, the first album that I see uh, is uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, Four Way Street. Nice. One of my favorite live albums. Nice. Uh, also, the one of the things you and I have talked about, um, my love and uh, of your um, your neighbor, I guess, uh, uh, Kevin Smith, um, and not not FDA's Kevin Smith, but the Kevin Smith that's famous for making movies in Red Bank, New Jersey. Yep. Uh, yep um, right and, next door to me. Yeah, well, and so I have a massive poster, like one of those film posters of oh. Clerks, that's signed by Kevin Smith. Um, so that's going to go on my wall very, very soon because it was in my my old office. It's something that uh, that I've I've carried it around from office to office, home office to office, to home office. So, so anyway, we're not not quite set up uh, yet. Um, uh, but Don, today today's marks a new day. It marks a new uh, a turn in. Um, in my calendar. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought I yeah. thought you were going to announce uh, maybe that there has been a change in the uh, no. leadership of this country, but uh, There's, not, not yet. I, okay. I, 
<laughs> no, wait. Let me get on. Let me get on the t- the, the tutor tutor here. No, no, it's still uh, still the same. Oh, okay. Um, I my children, uh, both of them, oh, mm-hmm. are uh, in school full time now. Ah, uh, so so you can uh, you school. can you can you can stay in your home office and swing on oh. your microphone all by yourself. I can, and it is like so. We so Jack. Um, as I, I think I've mentioned on on previous podcasts. I. I uh, well, I've, I've talked about my kids a lot, but one is uh, there are two different schools and on two different calendars, one on year round mm. and one on uh, traditional. Wow. Um, and so the traditional calendar in Wake County uh, started today. Mm. So Jack uh, got on uh, at, at 725 this morning. Um, we walked him up to uh, uh, his bus stop and he got on a bus to go to school for the first time because we um, the school that he was at last year that that Sam still goes to doesn't have busing. So he he was like all you know decked out in his first day of school gear, a new backpack, um, ready to get on the bus. And he's the first kid on the bus like that. He is the you know st- stop number one. Oh, wow. Um, and so, uh, he, you know, just like an, like an expert, like an expert bus rider, uh, hopped on up, went to the back of the bus and, uh, waved at us as, as he went on. And then, uh, that was seven twenty-five, and I have had, uh, and then, um, then, then Sam went to school. I've, I've already had a day. It's nine, <laughs> it's nine thirty. my day. I've already had a day. It's done. It's been amazing. I've been, I've been reading, I've been writing, I've been prepping for a podcast. I'm, I'm going to have to go to bed by about two o'clock this <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> But, well, what what I did was uh, the alarm the alarm went off when it usually uh, does, and then I went back to sleep, um, and then and then I, I took uh, I took Bianca in the backyard uh, for a pee. I don't ha- I have kids, uh, but but none, yeah. none of them are named Bianca. Bianca's a dog for those of you that are just following <laughs> along. Um, and then I took Gibbs for a walk, and then I realized that I had the opportunity not to actually prep for the podcast, but to make a funny joke about prepping for the podcast. So <laughs> I made a cup of coffee and I. And I, I, I mocked up, Ben, that's what they call this in the business, they call it a mock oh, yeah. up. I mocked up in the backyard that I was prepping for the podcast so I could send you a funny tweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it worked because we, uh, I, t- I tweeted back at you yeah. uh, with a uh, with a picture. And now we are, uh, uh, you know, the endless picture of pictures of pictures. Ex- exactly. It's, twi- um, it's tweets and pictures all the way down. Tweets and pictures all the way down. All the best tweets. Um, I, uh, so... I'm getting into this groove of we we now live in this neighborhood, which is like a park, and our backyard is amazing. Um, and I never ever want to leave it. So I am, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing all my prep, all my podcast prep, all my other prep sitting in our, in our backyard underneath, um, in the, on this porch that is attached to, um, what we are affectionately calling Danny's shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, where she cuts all her wood and, and, uh, <laughs> sands things. Um, and, uh, and I, we've mounted a, t- a television, uh, up underneath the, Awning, so I'll watch a little bit of news. Um, and in fact, I watched. This is going to come up in follow up, but I watched uh, a couple of uh, television programs. Well, one television program that is related to food safety and a movie, uh, all in my in the elements outside because it is now. I mean, we are feeling that it is fall here in North Carolina, which means it's in the high 60s over <laughs> and in uh, 85 during the day, and it's the greatest temperature ever. Uh, but anyway, I've been yeah, I've been taking advantage of hanging out in my backyard and and my kids run around and the dog uh, runs around and I just, uh, I do my thing. 
Yeah, I feel so on vacation. Well, you know, and I uh, I do not live in a park uh, like you, but I have a very nice uh, backyard, and uh, it is really this time of year is also gorgeous in New Jersey. It's about it's uh, I would say highs uh, overnight highs in this because welcome to weather weather safety talk uh, highs yeah. in the, highs in the sixties um, overnight and or lows in the sixties overnight and then highs in the like. 70s, maybe getting up to 80 in the day. So very similar, actually, to North Carolina, a little bit cooler. Um, and it's just, it's fantastic. I mean, why, why would I, why would I leave my backyard when I can sit back there? Right. And I don't have a television in my backyard, but I don't really watch television. Oh, I, well, you have to talk about television. We've been watching some okay. really good, really good television. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's a fantastic place to work. I can hang out with the dogs, which they like, and it's just been a gorgeous. It's really kind of unseasonably. Uh, cool, I think, for August in New Jersey. It, it should be. It feels like it should be warmer, but I am not complaining. It's just really nice. Awesome. Yeah, we we have been uh, uh, very lucky with the weather. Um, and unlike uh, <laughs> segue into people who are very unlucky with weather, um, the Texas, like the state of Texas, um, we've got friends in College Station, which isn't too far from. Um, uh, Austin, which isn't too far from Houston. Uh, and it sounds like I'm going to sing a Grateful Dead song all of a sudden. Um, but it is, uh, you know, I've been watching a lot of, uh, cable news and, and just, uh, tracking hurricane Harvey. And, and I have, I mean, this, this does segue into, into food safety because I've answered, um, three or four questions from folks about, okay, we have floods, and 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 in lots of places there isn't flooding, but a lot of power outages as a result of the, of the storm. Um, what do we do for food safety, and and how do we manage that? And as people return, what do you do? And you know, I, I think you you and I um, the, go through this um, uh, cycle uh, every. You know, I, I I get it in the summer and the winter um, where we have storms and people lose power, and 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 what do you do with the what do you do with food? Um, I see this one. I mean, I, I don't know about the growing region around there, but flooding and what do you do with crops is is a much you know much bigger deal. And it's basically you know they're a loss, right? Like you're it's you're not getting um, you're, you're not getting that food to market. Yeah, and actually, I have some some food safety related and podcast related follow up for that. So I got a phone call. Uh, yesterday uh, on Sunday, and it is so. So it's Monday as we record this because um, this is important for the story. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, you know, it's a Sunday phone call. I've been getting a lot of spam calls on my phone, so I didn't pick up. Uh, but it turns out it was a TV producer from from the television show Inside Edition. Um, and then she she very nicely sent me a follow up email as well. But basically. Um, Ben, you know, uh, they, because because there's a hurricane going on, uh, they wanted to do a food safety story about what to do uh, when the power goes out or what to do when the power comes back on. And she's like, well, we want to interview you. Here's a story that uh, ABC did some time ago, and we want to talk about which foods are safe in the fridge, which foods are not, uh, and when when can we do that? And I'm like, well, let me look at my calendar. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to be in the office until Thursday. So can we do it Thursday? Um, figuring that, you know, it's, it's, it's Inside Edition, and I've worked with them before, and they, you know, have a little bit longer timelines, at least for some, for some stuff. I mean, that they did – took them forever to get themselves organized with the, the thing that they did on the five-second rule, and then it took them weeks to, to air it. But this is obviously more, more topical. Than she, and then, so the producer says, well um, – uh, we, could we, could we do it at your house? And I said, well, I have to, I have to ask my wife. 
And she said, why do you have to ask your wife? I said, well, um, the last time that I invited a TV crew to my house, um, we almost got divorced because she was really stressed out by the fact that she had to, you know, like, like clean up the house yeah. so it looked nice for the TV crew. And, and she, she doesn't listen, so she'll never hear this. But yeah, I'm not saying anything that I don't think she would, she would agree with. She was really stressed out and she didn't want that. And so I said, well, I, you know, I'll get back to her. I'll get back to you. And so I talked to my wife and, and she's, and she said, well, you know, I've thought about it and, uh, no, like, no, 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 I, they can't come to the house. It's like, okay, well, I, <laughs> I called the reporter so back. I said, well, I can do it Thursday. And she's like, well, that doesn't work. We got to do it sooner than that. It's like, okay, well, um, I can do it Wednesday. Um, that's sooner than Thursday. That's sooner than Thursday. Uh, and she said, and she said, well, it has to be like Wednesday or before. It's like, okay, I can do it Wednesday. And she's like, okay, what time on Wednesday? I'm like, well, I could do it in the morning or, you know, anytime I'm really free the whole day. Uh, we have, we just bought, we just bought a brand new fridge for our break room, uh, which is right near my office where my students sometimes, they, they always store their lunch there and sometimes they eat in this room. And it's like, well, we've got a brand new fridge. We, you know, you would have to bring the food, right? Cause I'm not going to go out and buy food for you to do your television for, show, right? right? If you right. want a television show with the fridge with food, you, I'll provide the fridge and I'll be the <laughs> guy in the lab coat talking and you got to provide you the bring food. the food. Yeah. And. And she's like, oh, okay. Um, and then, and then I, and then I realized, hey, you know, actually, I'm free on Tuesday morning too. So I wasn't planning on going into work on Wednesday. I'm working from home, but I'll go in. I could even go in on Tuesday. And then she, she, she he emails me back or calls me back and says, um, it's got to be Monday. I talked to my, I talked to my head. It's got to be Monday. And I'm like, well, let me look at my calendar. And I'm like, well. Huh? No. Um, I, well, I, well, my for my first, cause I'm, I'm, you know, Ben, I, I want to help. I want to help uh, make the television because uh, right, I have a right. huge, huge respect for for television. Um, <clears throat> I'm not not really uh, television news. Um, anyway, um, but uh, yeah. So, uh, and I said, you know, I could easily text you, Ben, my my podcast partner, and I yeah. could I could easily move the podcast. And right. what I said was, no, I'm booked on Monday. <laughs> because, yeah, we because, got a podcast. Because, Ben, I don't think we need another television show with a guy in a lab coat showing pictures of a fridge <laughs> telling people what's safe and what's not. And, on the, you know, but we, you and I here today on this podcast, because I do want to contribute something to the general good, you and I on this podcast today, we could talk about this. It will be way more fun, way less work, and probably reach meh, I don't, not as many people as Inside Edition, but but good enough, right? Oh, I love it. I yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, this is why we uh, this is why we started a podcast, other than um, just so you and I could talk to each other. Uh, but uh, it, it, to, uh, we own our own media, right? Like this is That's this right. is our TV station. We control the means of production. We do. We even a I revolution. Mean, we could <laughs> we could put this out whenever we want. We don't have uh, we don't have to get it out by uh, five o'clock today, like uh, like Inside Edition does. Right. Um, you know, we might we might even get it out earlier. We might get it out later. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows when it goes out? <laughs> uh, well, okay, so let's let's do it. So what what Don, let me let me be the uh interviewer or as they say um in in the UK because I do want to talk about British television in a minute. Uh teaser. Mm, um, I'll be the presenter. Uh-huh. Uh D- Dr. Schaffner, could you tell me maybe a little bit about what you would worry about in your refrigerator if you were uh, battling uh Hurricane Harvey? Well, uh, you know what, Ben? Um, I'm going to do better than that. I'm going to tell you 
Um, what uh, what ABC13.com says uh, in a story on Friday, August 25th, 2017 at 2.17 p.m. said, um, because this is what inspired the folks from Inside Edition. Um, uh, and so I'm going to tell you uh, what they said. Uh, so if the power goes out, we all face the same dilemma. How long can we keep the food? Well, Ben, according to foodsafety.gov, okay, which is the definitive source for food safety information from our United States government, uh, most food should be safe as long as power is out for no more than four hours. Keep the door closed as much as possible. Discard any perishable food, meat, poultry, uh, fish, eggs, and leftovers that have been above 40 degrees Fahrenheit for over two hours. Huh? Uh, uh-huh. Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Ben. Let's read that again. Let's okay? talk about that. Because, because it's... Uh, it's a conf- I, I'm I've, Ben. I don't know about you, but I've got a PhD, and this is a confusing <laughs> message. Okay, um, most food should be safe as long as power is out no more than four hours. Keep the door closed as much as possible. Discard any perishable food, meat, poultry, blah blah blah, that have been above forty degrees Fahrenheit for over two hours. Okay, well, I guess that's okay. It's a little confusing. It requires me to have a thermometer. Um, I don't know what keeping the door closed as much as possible is, especially if I'm checking the temperature of the food constantly. Um, (laughs) Never taste food to determine its safety. Um, And then uh, watch the AccuWeather video. Uh, So uh, that's that's good. Um, So anyway, um, so I mean, my advice, Ben, is as always on this podcast, it depends and it's complicated. Um, But I would say, um, certainly if the power is out, I think it's, I think that's good. I think the power is out more than four hours for your fridge. Um, many perishable foods in your fridge should be discarded. Um, I, you know, this is, this is tricky because, you know, uh, cultured, uh, dairy products like yogurt and sour cream are probably safe for an extended period of time. Um, I think Eggs uh, in shell, as long as you're going to cook them uh, fully, uh, are probably okay. You know, meats are probably okay if you're going to cook them. I mean, it's the problem right. is, is that we, you know, and this is this is a perennial topic on this podcast is like what what have his, uh, extension people told people historically versus if we did a risk assessment, what would we find? I, I think honestly. I think the more important – let's forget about fridges for a minute. The, I saw a, a picture from Houston of a nursing home with people oh. in the nursing home with water up to their waist. I mean it was horrible, Crazy. right? So my advice is let's talk about flooding. If flood waters have been in contact with your food in your fridge, uh, you should just get rid of it, right? Um, yeah. Uh, I would say – um, if uh, so, the the simple answer with foods in the fridge is if the power's been out for more out four hours, you should get rid of that food. Okay, if. Um, if the food in the freezer is still hard frozen, so keep the freezer co- closed. Do not open the freezer, okay? If the food in the freezer is uh, 40 degrees or below um, or frozen hard to the touch, uh, then that food is is likely as safe as it, w- as it went into the freezer, okay? Um, but but the the, the, fr- the fridge thing is, is tough, right? Because, I mean, you could say, well, okay, thinking about what's in my fridge right now, I've got some lettuce that I prepped last night for salads, and we had salads, and then I had some leftover lettuce. Okay, that's probably going to be fine for a little while. Um, we have some whole red peppers, uh, some of which I cut up for the salad last night. Well, whole red peppers, heck, at the grocery store, those are already at room temperature, right? So, right. I mean, it gets it gets into pretty fine, gre- de- 
fine-grained details pretty quickly. Um, so, you know, which – and obviously if I was on television, I wouldn't be saying all of this. Uh, but, but it's a podcast, Ben, and we have as much time and as much uh, uh, luxury to explore this as we want. Absolutely. I, I just uh, sent you a couple of yep, uh, yep. Some. links. Um, I we, we dealt with some flooding here in North Carolina after uh, Hurricane Matthew last year in uh, 2016. And um, I drove in, I think it was November, October or November um, after the the recovery, like after the waters receded and people were you know, coming back to their homes and to see what it was like, like I've never been around a flood, like, like what we're seeing right now in Houston Houston, or, you know, like I've just never, I've never experienced it. Um, and I, you know, I grew up close to Lake Ontario, but not, we never had anything like, like, you know, hurricane and 40 inches of rain or anything like that. Um, and so I got, I mean, I, I, fortunately from a extension and food safety experience, I got, I got to tour around a couple of houses that had 15, 16 feet of water in them. And, and, you know, months after the the fact and went through, um, a, a whole bunch of things like how do you clean pot dishes and pots and pans, um, appliances, what do you do with food? Um, you know, one of the, the, one of the houses that we went to had a fridge that, um, they weren't even able to get into for two months. And, and it's, you know, when the floods happen, it's not like you're emptying out your fridge. Right. And this food was contained in there and they, op- the, we weren't there when they open it up, you open it up and it was just, you know, like the most ridiculous thing. Um, the, this is like the, the hard part, um, of, uh, of what we, you know, what we do and what we encounter. Um, you, you know, a lot of the, things like, okay, just throw this stuff out is easy if you have the means to replace it or if you have insurance that's going to cover it. But, you know, some of the questions that, that we got, you know, we, we, in, in Eastern North Carolina, we have some counties that, you know, you've got 20%, 30% of the people in those counties are, are at or below the poverty line. And someone's like, okay, so yeah, great. Throw out my fridge. I don't have a fridge then. So how literally, mm. how can I take this fridge? And put right. it, make it so I can put food back in it, well, which is and, a much and, harder question, right? And like, and, and, and to uh, to our apropos our discussions about raw milk, if you tell a person that doesn't have any money to throw their fridge out, they're going to say, "Yeah, right. I'm going to use right. my fridge." And so now it's a pot. It's yes. Uh, uh, we uh, the advice of extension should always be: if you can afford it, you should get a new fridge, right? But if you can't afford it, here is what we recommend as best practices to recondition this fridge. Absolutely right. 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 Yeah, and and sometimes that answer is we I can't right, right. like right. But well, we can't. Yeah, it could, the answer could be we can. We realize this is terrible, but we cannot recommend reusing this. Right? We cannot. We cannot recommend a way to do this safely. Yeah. So so anyway, we we did some videos and and I, I like you know like I said I I'd never seen the destruction and devastation. Um, like like that, and I can only imagine, you know, the, watching watching this this you know Texas thing um, situation, not not thing. I shouldn't. I don't want to downplay it, but you, I, I didn't realize that Houston was the you know in the top ten most populated cities in the world. Like like the you're you're millions and millions of people are going to be affected by this for months. 
um, right. longer maybe, right? Like right. this is, this is a big, this well, is a big deal. Th- th- yeah. And think about, think about new Orleans and Katrina, right? This is, right. this is, I-, I think potentially more devastating than Katrina. And, you know, again, Houston, it's on the coast. Um, I, I don't know how much they do it anymore, but back in the day, they used to grow a lot of rice there. Right. So there's a lot of low lying land that's suitable for for growing rice. There's a lot of wetlands, which as the city has expanded, uh, they've, they've built on and, you know, that's not a good thing, right? Cause those wetlands are there for a reason, you know, uh, you know, they, they, they've helped with uh, flood control historically. And so this is, uh, I mean, there were, again, the devastation is just catastrophic. I mean, there were pieces of, you know, highway that are washed out. Right. Uh, I mean, just, this is, yeah. I mean, this is something, th- this is a Katrina plus scale disaster that is going to have knock-on effects for a long, long time, much, much right. like Katrina. I, I predict the, the similar, you know, if, if there's the, anything we can compare it to, it's it's that. And it's probably, uh, again, to my uneducated, you know, un, un-hurricane expert uh, judgment, I would say um, as bad or worse than Katrina. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, for those who, and if you want to share any of this stuff, I, um, we'll send a link or put a link into show notes of some info sheets that we created um, from previous uh, storms, just about you know what can I keep and what you know what can I dis- discard, and here you know here are things that um, if they're protected are are, are probably um, okay. I mean, we get a lot of questions like. Um, home canned foods, you know, like we, we deal with a lot of uh, canning questions. And, and so someone's like, well, my, my stuff was in a flood. Um, can, is it still good? And like the, the you know, the science is kind of interesting on this, right? Like, like the, it, as long as that jar tin, you know, what, or, you know, jar, uh, essentially, um, it keeps, maintains its integrity. Um, the, you know, the safety of the products probably fine. And we've got some good examples. I'll see if I can find a link to this. Something I read a couple of weeks ago about, um, you know, some canned foods that had been recovered from a ship a hundred years ago that went mm. down off the East coast. And, um, and just like someone opened it up and, and looked at the, um, the quality of that food from a safety standpoint, mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was preserved, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it was under, uh, a uh, hundred feet of water or something. Um, and as long as the, the, the jar itself stays intact, you're, you're probably okay. But then you get all this other stuff about, okay, well, what, you know, I had all this brown water or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that touched the outside of it. How do I clean it? And I mean, it just becomes these really hard questions. Um, and it, and that's one of the things, you know, you, you, you cited the ABC story. Um, one of the things that I think we run into trouble with is it's not, like the easy answer to all of this is the foodsafety.gov approach, right? Like mm-hmm. here, here, you know, you got two hours and start your clock. But, but when that, that conversation matters for those who can afford it, like yep. that's, yeah. So it's, um, I, I find, you know, I, it's terrible, terrible, um, events. And I find this a very, um, it's, it's challenging to have those, you know, to do these interviews. Um, so, so anyway, check, check out the videos we did and, um, and it really, like, it really stuck with me. I thought a lot about walking around that house, um, and last, you know, over the last couple of days as I watched these videos and then, um, how the, we had conversations with homeowners about it and, and one, you know, one house, they're just going to tear down. 
And then, you know, right next door to it, they're rebuilding it and they had ripped it right down to the studs. And, and you're, you're, you're months after the fact, people are living in, in trailers and, and they're talking every day. They're talking to insurance adjusters and FEMA still months after the fact. Like I just, I can't, you know, I find it hard to get two of my kids dressed in the morning and get them to school. Right. Like right. I, my much house less, is a, much less live in a trailer and talk to FEMA every day and do all yeah. that other stuff. Right. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. insane. It's yeah. It's totally yeah. And insane. we had, we had a similar thing with uh, Superstorm Sandy. Um, and you know, people that lived in my County lived in Tom's river down, uh, you know, down, down near the shore. Um, who's, you know, who, again, you know, years later, we're still arguing about insurance and, and whatnot. So yeah, and we'll, we'll definitely, <clears throat> We will link to those uh, two links that you sent. Uh, we will definitely link to uh, a fact sheet uh, written by my colleague, uh, Daryl Minch from Somerset County Cooperative Extension. Uh, she did a nice job with uh, uh, a, f- a fact sheet to, to, to deal with this and to try to get into as much of the nuances as you can in a fact sheet and still be, still be conservative. And, you know, she's got some good recommendations about what's... <clears throat> What's safe and what what you should discard? You know, again, making some good some good decisions on on that. I think, and I think probably back in the day, I probably reviewed this, um, so it's got my my uh, it, it, not not an actual stamp of approval, but it has my stamp of approval. So, so. <laughs> your your seal, yeah. And, and if I was if I was quickly prepping to talk to uh, Inside Edition, I would probably look at this and and, and and quote from this because it looks like uh, it looks like a good. And Daryl's great; she does a really good job with uh, with extension food safety uh, out there in uh, in New Jersey. So we'll uh, we'll link to all of that stuff. So awesome. 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 Um, so, uh, I got, I got some, Oh, you, we, we got to talk about some stuff I, that we've been watching because yes. you, you have some stuff. I put something, so I'm going to start with this. Have you seen white gold? No. Okay. Do you know what this is? Cause it, it is um, in your wheelhouse of, kind of gold. That's white colored. <laughs> It is. It is a kind of gold. I will read from the Wikipedia page. White Gold is a 2017 BBC comedy series. So I know your ears have peaked up right there. Yes, yes. Featuring a group of UPVC window salesmen in (laughs) mid-1980s Essex. (laughs) It is amazing. Oh, yes. This is is right in our wheelhouse. Yep. I watched the first two episodes on the weekend in it. I don't know if – Oh yeah, it it was internet. It was re- uh, released on August 11th, um, so I missed it by a couple of weeks. It just popped up in my Netflix queue of you know uh, something you might enjoy and watch it. It is so so good. Um, so check out um, White Gold, and it is just like it, it is. Uh, it's on. It, it's it's my favorite uh, comedy right now. Okay. Well, very good. So we we the thing that we have started watching recently um, is a show called Shetland, um, which is a <clears throat> a British produced uh, murder mystery. It is um, actually it is on Netflix. Um, uh, you know, it's it's it seems obscure enough that it would seem like the kind of thing that would be on Acorn TV, but in fact, it is it is on Netflix, and basically, it's based on some books. It's about. It's kind of like the um, the the Scottish equivalent of um, Murder She Wrote um, because there's this tiny little. Well, there's. You've heard of the Shetland Islands, Ben? I have heard of the Shetland Islands. And Shetland Sheepdogs and, uh, and Shetland uh, Ponies. Yeah. And Shetland Ponies. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No, no, no sheepdogs or or ponies yet in the show, but uh, lots of uh, love. So so the Shetland Islands are north of the United Kingdom. Uh, they're part of the UK. They're not part of Scotland, but all the people in the Shetland Islands speak with uh, Scottish accents. Uh, th- these islands are in the North Sea. They're probably north of Stockholm and Oslo, so they're they're pretty pretty far up. Um, and 
and basically it's a, a cop and uh, his two assistants uh, that work in these islands and they, they solve murders and they're really good. I mean, they're really <laughs> nicely shot. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, so I, like I said, it would be the uh, it would be the Scottish equivalent of Murder She Wrote because how could you possibly have this many murders in these lovely little islands? But um, just uh, just really uh, just really really nicely produced and good stories and interesting mysteries and uh, yeah, so we've watched so um, the first it's it's a, it's a typical British. Um, uh, series or season. So the first season uh, just has two episodes, which is a two-parter, and then I like it. Yeah, and then <laughs> season two and season three, it's easy to watch, right? Season two, <laughs> season two, and season three uh, each have three uh, murders uh, each two episodes. So six uh, six episodes, um, you know, each a two-parter, an hour each, an hour. So two, basically two hours. You can knock out knock out an episode in an evening um, if you don't watch anything else. So that really, again, highly recommended. But uh, but we got to check out this white gold thing uh, for sure so thanks oh you're gonna love white gold um you had me at murder she wrote by the way <laughs> british like australian oh. i'd watch something like brazilian murder she wrote you had me uh <laughs> um i uh i used to watch my grandparents used to uh have murder she wrote on uh, every afternoon when i would go uh go to their house after i was in school in elementary school so i'm i'm, I'm all over it cool um Speaking of of TV, we had some follow up, and I, I have since we not the listeners don't know, but you and I were scheduled to record on Friday, um, right. and and you you forgot this is you this time because oh, this totally some, sounds like something I would do, <laughs> um, which is you forgot to uh, bring your your microphone to your office, right? Um, and so so anyway, we pushed it pushed it till today, which was great because. Um, it gave me time to catch up on two things that I was not finished on, on Friday. Um, and that was watch. This goes back a couple episodes, but, um, we were sent a screening version of, um, food evolution, uh, which is a, a documentary movie on, um, genetically modified foods and, and genetic engineering, um, and science uh, that was produced by IFT, uh, as well as, uh, an episode from CNBC of, uh, or a show from CNBC called American greed and an episode that focused on, um, the peanut corporation of America. Um, so I'm, I'm all caught up. I, I watched them both and, um, and I'm, I'm ready to talk. I'm ready to talk. Well, as, as you know, Ben, I don't have a television in my backyard, so uh, (laughs) I did not catch up on these. Um, but uh, I did, I did watch American greed, uh, the episode on peanut corporation of America. Um, so we could talk about that. If you want to talk about food evolution, even though I haven't watched it, I'm happy to talk about that as well. So, okay, well, let's, let's do that. So let's start with American greed. Um, I, I've never watched a sh- like an American Greed episode before. Um, this is my first. I was an American Greed virgin. Um, I'm not sure it's really my genre. I, I can tell you <laughs> definitively, Ben. I would, I will not watch another episode of this show unless it's relevant to work because this is so depressing, right? Like, oh, great, a show, you know, because because real life about life in these United States these days is not depressing enough. How about we go and we find shows that are deliberately horrible um, to make people feel really bad about living in the United States? Yeah, I'll watch that, sure, because I don't feel bad enough. <laughs> I actually, this may surprise you. That part of the show didn't bother me. Oh, at all. okay, awesome. 
<laughs> what bothered me was the overproduction oh, of yes, it. It was yes, yes, pure aesthetics yes, for yes, me. Yes, yes. Um, I get that. And, yes. And that, like, I, I love a documentary. Right. Um, it had, uh, anyway, American Greed, check it, check it out. Um, it, it's on, I watched it on Hulu. The, um, they have 11 seasons or seven seasons of it. And, um, but, uh, it, it is like, um, cold case or what, maybe that's not the, even the right show. Uh, like headline news has a whole bunch of shows about like old, um, you know, a little, a, a half hour documentary about an old murder or an, or an old, you know, unsolved mysteries kind of thing. And that's that this is the same kind of genre, but it's about people that do things that, uh, because of uh, money, uh, and are, are fraudulent. Um, I thought, so, I mean, you watched it. I, I thought, um, you know, people that came out looking very badly, uh, in this process of the show were, uh, the, the Parnells and, and Stuart mm-hmm. Parnell. Um, I, you not, not who you would call the protagonist, I think in this story. Um, and, I, but it, and, and me, this is, uh, I was expecting more and maybe I, what I wanted was like a documentary on it. Um, I was expecting like, to it, uh, there were some really great visuals that I hadn't seen before, but I wanted I I, I just wanted I, I really wanted to know more about why right like the the show was about here's what happened and maybe this is me and you being too inside because I knew all the I knew all the what's I wanted to know more about the whys and maybe I'm not even the right audience for it. So that was my that was my big big takeaway from it. Huh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, and I well, and it, you know, it's it's what an hour long show. So yeah, yeah. forty two minutes. Yeah, yeah, and and again, and we are not the target audience for this show, right? This is pe- for people that don't know anything about food safety. Um, right. But I just have to. So I, I'm gonna. Uh, I, I just. I'm. I, we'll, we'll link. Uh, we'll link to the the this episode. It's uh, it's episode uh, eleven from. Season seven, season eleven. Eleven. Season oh, eleven, eleven. That's easy to oh, remember. So, yeah. episode eleven from season eleven. I can't believe there's been eleven seasons of the show and I never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, um, me too. But, um, but what I, what I, yeah, I, th- now this one, this one sounds interesting. So, episode sixteen of the same of the same uh, uh, season. Uh, wine, women, and fraud. John Fox steals millions from rich wine clients and blows the money on fast cars and faster hookups until he falls prey to a sextortion scheme. See, that one sounds way more exciting to me. <laughs> right. Well, that's because you're not an expert on wine and sextortion, Ben. See, I'm not. As far as I know, too, I mean. Yeah. No, well, not yet. Yeah, neither, neither of those things, as far as I know, even. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so anyway. It's yeah. So, like, I, I, yeah. So I've got, I've, I found my notes. So I've got, I've got some more, some more comments, but okay. go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, check it out because what what I did what I did like about the episode is that it it framed these illnesses in a pop culture way. Like, I have I have a lot of I like that. I like that, and and in fact, that's a very much my my take on food evolution as well. That that using the mechanics that that we tell stories on TV or in movies, this is one of the few times where where we you know something that I'm really familiar with from my you know my job and my day to day focus is is placed into that framework right like even the Chipotle stuff um, or the five second rule you had these news snippets that you digest the whole story down into in, in really into a, a couple of minutes here you've got 42 minutes 
to to talk about the entire outbreak and the the victims and you know interview a lot of people that we know um uh, and one at least one that that's been on the podcast bill marler was um you know was sort of front and center in this story um but but it, it was like here's the here's the pop culture version of of the stuff that we see every day yeah yeah and, and again as a as an insider-ish person reading this, uh, like Marler, and again, you know, friend of the pod, uh, best best podcast title um, in, in the history of food safety talk. Uh, where's my wallet? So if you haven't heard uh, Bill Bill ask, "Where's my wallet?" Um, on the, on the, our episode uh, we, with him, uh, you should definitely check that out. He says a lot of things that are true about PCA, but. Th- my perception was they'd be true of many companies. So, right, so one right. of the things that he says, uh, uh, with limited resources, these agencies rely on companies to police their own operations. That's Duh. the system. Yeah, that's, that's the way it works, right? And yeah. in fact, there was uh, something that I don't know if I put it in show notes for this episode. Somebody was complaining about like uh, the the there's changes going on in the UK that's going to move their inspection system towards that. It's like that's the only way to do it, right? Unless unless we were to take the FDA budget and raise it like a hundred times or a thousand times, right? A hundred times. So so food companies get inspected once a year by FDA. So we could raise FDA's budget by 365 times, and then an inspector could visit them every day. Well, you know, but but we, even even that we I mean we have a system where an inspector is there every day oh, with USDA, right? Right, right, and and even that you know it's it it's not like we have zero risk in meat, you know, right? Right, Let, right. Not to play platitudes too much, right, but right, you know, it, you know, even if we did that, it's not a it's one strategy, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah. It's a good. It's a good point. Couple, couple more comments. Um, uh, I think. Oh, so uh, there's a there's a, a scene where they have Parnell um, testifying before Congress, and and somebody has this uh, this jar of uh, his products. Oh yeah. Uh, if I was him, I would totally open that up and eat something right from there. Right. Right. Because why not? I mean, you, it, but, yeah, so anyway, so th- but you have was, to lose at that point. Yeah, it was right. a well, and, congressman or yeah. someone holding up this uh, jar that's wrapped in caution tape in a Ziploc bag. I mean, really, really great prop. And, you know, they, they show Parnell um, with all the you know background dramatic music and, and the congressman's like, would you eat this? This is from your company. And they, he never answers it. Right. Like right. On, <laughs> the clip doesn't show him answering it. Right. Um, uh, so I thought the microbiologist, uh, Dibel, um, uh, yeah. that was a, that was good. I think he did a good job with that. Um, I, the, 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 the QA manager quitting after four months, right? Like if you, that, that would be a flag, a red flag to me. Like if I was at a food company and I saw that a QA manager worked at a company and quit after four months, that would be, that would be bad. Um, I think the the most heartbreaking thing in the whole story was the the boy, the sick boy, who is is really sick, and all he's eating is peanut butter crackers, which are potentially making him sick again. Right? I mean, that was that right, was just right. really, really, just heartbreaking. Um, three of the nine deaths were in Minnesota, which makes me wonder. Like, again, Minnesota's really good at food safety epidemiology. I wonder if there's, m- like, a bunch more unreported deaths that just never never made it, right? Uh, yep. I've got to say, I've got to say yes, right? If, 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 unless a third of the product was sold in Minnesota, which I don't, I don't think it was. Um, 
I don't understand why PCA didn't have recall insurance. That to me seems ludicrous, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, uh, and then, uh, you know, Ben. I mean, Senator Franken. He's really down with this food safety reform stuff. (laughs) He would be a great guest. Do you think he would? Could we get him? Do you think he he was he was all over that that episode and like was the first politician in there. And I let's try let's try and get him. See what he's up to. Why, Dom? What do we have to lose? Let's ask. I'm gonna find him. Great. I'm gonna try and find him. Yeah. Um, Um, And then, and my last comment. is I had forgotten uh, the whole thing about Parnell's defense was he he had ADHD so he couldn't really concentrate on anything. Right, right, <laughs> like like, like that, food safety, like food safety, right? For more than a couple seconds, he was onto something else. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, the so you and I talked uh, in a previous podcast about PCA, and you gave me I, I don't know if you remember this, but maybe. Um, last fall sometime I had, I had to give a talk, um, at a County farm week on food safety and, and I didn't know what to talk about. So I brought you the question and then you said, give them a talk called the tale of two outbreaks and talk about (laughs) CA versus Jensen farms. I I Uh, think I remember that. Do you remember that? So I still, I still use those slides. Yeah. Um, but, but that, I mean, the, this, uh, the episode of American greed reminded me of that is, um, what you have here when you compare and contrast, um, PCA to other companies is yeah. A lot of other companies experience outbreaks. What you don't have is in, in a lot of cases that we know of is this willingness to, to send food that has, has tested internally for a pathogen onto your customers, right? right? Like that sticks out to me, what makes them different. And, 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 and even, you know, that early on in the episode, they talk about just ship it and it comes back a little bit, but that is like, that's the American greed, right? Like that's the stamp of the, of the, um, of the episode for me. Um, is just, you know, send it out there. Yeah, well, exactly. And that's, to me, was the most damning thing that came out <clears throat> from all of the press around this, not this episode necessarily, but but it was, was covered in the episode, was this idea of, well, we're just going to send it to a different lab until we get a result that we want, and then we're going to send it out. And that is... Uh, that's just reprehensible, right? Like that's not foods, you know, again, it's like I spend a lot of time in short courses talking about microbial sampling and that just, you, that you know, you can't do that, right? You, ha- you, you have to consider um, the positive samples and the negative samples and it does let you narrow down the risk, right? But it doesn't, you can't, you can't test your way into safety, right? Uh, even, even with all negative test results, you can't right, test your right. way into, into an assurance of safety. And so, yeah, this was just a company that was just, yeah, just reprehensible. And, and I, I, as I tell people, I think, again, based on what I know, not representative of the industry, right? Like 99.9% right, right. of the people out there are trying to do a good job. And then there's, there's guys like this guy who, you know, gets everything that's coming to him and, and double, right? I mean, I no no sympathy at all for this guy. Cause he's just a, he's just a horrible human being. Yeah. And just, yeah. Well, okay. So I want to segue then into, into something else, um, here, um, about, um, Oh, where is it? Where is it in here? Uh, I, I got these emails, but you, you talked about, um, uh, uh, in, inside edition. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I got an invite uh, to comment on some inside edition stuff, which I'm, I, I don't think we're like talking out of turn um, so much. Well, maybe I'm sco- I don't know. I'm going to talk about it. Okay. Um, Cause they didn't say I couldn't. Did you sign um, a non-disclosure? I didn't sign anything. Okay. And, and they sent me some stuff. And, and I'm <laughs> was it, was it off the record, Ben? I, I don't know. With me? Yeah. Like if I, I'm the media now, right? <laughs> right. They didn't tell me this was off the record. They didn't tell me it was background. Okay. Um, there you go. It, Anyway, so uh, TV show uh, was is interested in testing, right? And mm-hmm. and I think this comes from a conversation that we had um, on previous podcasts about fecal coliform and coliform in foods, and how that the that assay doesn't really tell us what what we think it what what you, not what you and I think it is, but what some do. It's like, well, if I find fecal coliforms in X, then that means there's feces in it, or mm-hmm. If I find fecal coliforms in X, then it's got to be unsafe, right? Um, and so, so anyway, that I think that's the background to what happened, like or what the why they were looking for things. But but you know, it turns out uh, this this company um, or this company this uh, you know uh, news program went and grabbed a bunch of samples of soft serve and frozen yogurt and sent me the results. And they wanted me to comment on the safety of those those results. They wait a minute. They sent me the same thing. Oh, freaking way! Yeah, look at us. Look at us. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, because I, uh, I, I did. You put these in Dropbox? I did. Did you okay. put them in Dropbox? I, I don't think so. But I'm trying to figure out like why why they're why there. Why do you know but about yeah, this? I, this looks very familiar to me. Well, so anyway, I talked to this uh, this producer about them and. They, you know, they sent me, I'm not going to go through all the, the details, but, but they, uh, other than they took about 40, looks like about 40 samples of ice cream and well, what they told me was soft serve and frozen yogurt from, uh, various fast food places. And they said, so what do you think? And, and they gave me results for, um, E. coli and listeria and E. coli is, is re- reported just as generic E. coli. And then they have APC. So aerobic play count. And then they have, um, total coliform count, uh, TCC. And they're like, so, so the, the big news, um, you know, that you probably saw, and maybe you looked at things differently than I do. So let's talk about it. Big news was, Hey, there's no pathogens in any of these 40 results. Um, that's the way that, that I looked at it. No listeria. And that kind of surprised me. Um, but when it came to total call, uh, total coliform count and aerobic plate count, they had counts. Um, you and I talked a little bit about this, you know, this kind of stuff last week, but I looked at, at this and, and everything in the sample says it's ice cream, but it's really not ice cream. Cause a lot of these are frozen yogurts. So Don, would you expect to see any bacteria in a frozen yogurt? I your I don't know if your mic is on. Sorry, the dog was barking, so I just, <laughs> I turned it off, but then I didn't turn it on. So yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, you're right. My microphone was not on. Um, so uh, 
yeah, I um, I had exactly the same question, and uh, actually, I did I did some I did some research on this. I got to find where I where I stuck it. Like I stuck it in a folder somewhere, I think, because I did do some research. Because again, and you can kind of tell that this reporter is shopping this around because yeah. if you look at the email um, that uh, that you put in the Dropbox, it's it says, uh, "Hi Ben, I'd like to share some of our results from our tests." That's in one color, <laughs> and yes. then and then the rest of the email in another color, which is an indication of somebody uh, maybe sending it to multiple people. So, um, but yeah, so one of the, the comments that I made when I talked with this person, this producer from the television show was that yoga and what they should have done is like, I would like to know those high counts uh, in the millions were those lactic acid bacteria because right. yogurt has lactic acid bacteria. But I also remember from somewhere that there was a, a, a bit of a scandal a few years ago where people went out and tested frozen yogurt and looked for... Um, uh, bacteria look for lactic acid bacteria because yogurt is supposed to be is good for you because it has lactic acid bacteria. So frozen yogurt, if it's good for you, has lactic acid bacteria. And it was a big scandal because there wasn't any Ooh, lactic I acid bacteria. That. Yeah. So there you go. So and of course, and if you're you know, and this is what I said, you should go back to the lab and 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 find out if they had any information because we so when we test foods. We test foods from university dining halls, as you and listeners of the podcast know. What we started doing recently, in the last you know five years, not recently, recently, but but what we start, what we do now is, if we get a high count, especially from a dairy product, is we will retest um, on uh, a media that is specific for lactic acid bacteria to differentiate to see whether those high counts are lactics or not. And sometimes the lactic acid bacteria tend to be slow growing, and so if you look at them on a plate, on a, just on a total plate count plate, um, they'll be what we call pinprick colonies, right? Small colonies versus larger colonies, and so that's really uh, that's really important. So, um, so my my take on this is well. So first of all, high counts might be uh, lactic acid bacteria, so it would be good to know about that. Uh, coliforms uh, should not be in frozen yogurt. Period. Full stop. Right? It's not. Again, it's not fecal coliforms. It's not an indication of feces. They didn't find any E. coli, but coliforms should not be there. They shouldn't be in the raw material. Uh, they shouldn't be in the finished product. And so what I said was you really need to think about, you know, if you were going to do a follow-up, go back to these uh, locations and say, okay, um, what's your cleaning and sanitation program, right? right what right. do you do to break down them? And then also, and we had a problem with this, uh, not from frozen yogurt, but our uh, graduate students uh, sell ice cream as a fundraiser every year um, at our Ag Field Day. And so uh, we have a little ice cream maker in the department. And so they buy mix. They don't make it from scratch. They buy mix from a local company. And then they, they run it through the ice cream maker and they and they make ice cream and, you know, different flavors and, and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, but uh, because we have uh, sometimes problems with the infrastructure in our building and sometimes graduate students are not very organized, they ordered a bunch of ice cream mix one year. The, po the power in the, the refrigeration slash freezer room where the exit was a refrigeration because you can't freeze it because it'll freeze solid. But in the refrigeration room where they were keeping the mix, they ordered it too early and then we had a refrigeration failure. And so the low counts that were in the mix became high counts, and then they ran it through the ice cream machine, and they got you know lots of contamination. So my, my question or my comment to the producer was, in addition to cleaning and sanitation for these 
mixers, I think it's also very important uh, that you ask, like, do they, how do they source their mix? What's the, you know, timing on shelf life? What's the, you know, quality control, uh, temperature control for that? All of that could contribute to to problems like this. So, uh, so yeah, I, uh, it's interesting. I wonder how many other food safety yeah. uh, microbiologists they talk to. Well, and and so the two things that that came up um, I, for me, I, you know, we talked a little bit about the coliform, um, but the you know sanitation wise, he what what he really wanted to uh, to wanted I think me to say was that this is out of regulatory spec, right? Like that there's this is would be against the against the law and. Well, I don't think we can really say that because we don't have anything, you know, in the world that these businesses are regulated in that talks about whether you should have coliform or not. And it's not an adulterant, right? Like it's, it's so it's terribly, you know, not, it's, it's not good to have it there, but there's no like, and this is against the law, which is what, you know, what our, where our conversation um, went to. What two, right. two things that, that came to me when, when he and I were talking about it was I asked him, I was like, how did you take the samples? Mm. Right. Like what, tell me about that process. And he said, well, I went, I went, I ordered ice cream. I took it. Mm-hmm. They cut, co- they covered it. And I want to come back to that. Mm. And, uh, and then I took that and I dropped it, you know, dropped it into a bag and then took it to the lab, put it on ice and took it to the lab. And I was like, so tell me about like all of that, like covered, what do you mean by that? Um, and he said, well, they, you know, in, in all of these places, they put a lid on it and I'm Don, I don't know about you, but I'm familiar with, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to go through all of the names, but I'm familiar with the ice cream servings of a couple of these places. Mm-hmm. Um, based on, on my kids often enjoy these, um, two of them, I know for sure they don't cover with anything cover quote cover, mm-hmm. right there, there might be something, you know, something there. Um, but in a couple of them they do. And what, what I talked to him about was maybe this isn't an ice cream issue. Maybe this is a storage of, uh, of lids or covers, right? Like things or, or cups, um, you know, what we, what we don't know is that piece, right? Like well, how that, well, yes. So, so first of all, that's a good point. And second of all, I don't think that's what it is, but third, um, it doesn't really matter, right? Because if you cover it and then you dispense the right. ice cream into a sterile bag, let's assume, I hope it was a sterile bag. Um, that's what you're eating anyway. So if there was cross-contamination from the lid, that still goes to what it is that I would be eating. Right. So, Agreed. Yeah. But I, but I guess that um, th- the difference for me is if there was a pathogen there that now we're now we're talking about something, something different, having um, it, it, and I'll focus on the APC stuff for sure. Mm-hmm. Having a, a aerobic plate count in, on or in that in that mix, it, you know, to, to me is like, well, yeah, there's going to be stuff that shows up on aerobic plate count that's just in the environment where this stuff is made. Is it a safety question? I don't, I don't know. I mean, not, it's, it doesn't jump out at me as yes, it is, um, right now. And, and if we try to get to the root cause, and this is the reason why I want to talk to him about the sampling and, and the holding of it is that he really continue to come down to this micro microbiological requirement for ice cream. Um, and about, you know, finish. So it's like, okay, so if you have USDA has a marketing, um, uh, you know, seal for, uh, for, uh, 
processed um, ice cream that talks about the finished product can, can shall contain no more than 50,000 bacteria per gram is determined by the standard plate count and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. My, you know, finding out whether the issue is in the ice cream, in the processing, in the nozzle or in the, um, the serving containers or the lids to me matters. If, if that's what we're, what we're looking at, like it's because it, you're managing different things. I agree with you that it doesn't matter from a public health standpoint, how, how it got there. Like if there's a risk, but trying to figure out what the management program program or what the management response is, I think does matter. Um, so yeah, those were my conversation with him was like, you know, did you, did you wear gloves? Did you put a spoon in it? You know, all that kind of stuff. And he's like, ah, we, we weren't doing this as like a scientific study. Yeah. And I was like, yep, that's, I totally get that. So, yep. yep. You know, another interesting thing, another interesting difference between the email that he sent to you and then he sent to me is in the one that he sent to me, he blinded the chains. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 uh, yeah. So, so you're, you know, I got some chains. Yeah. Like five, five were independent shops out of nine. And then he gives the sample numbers. And then, uh, mine says one restaurant, two restaurants, one restaurant. And, and in, in yours, it's, it's actually, well, the numbers don't come out the same, but anyway, it's, uh, yeah. So he, he names names in yours, but in the phone call, uh, you know, he did talk about it. I, I, the other thing that I thought was interesting is that in the, the higher counts tended to be in the independents rather than in the chains, which kind of makes sense from my point of view too, right? Like, like yeah. it, it, the chains. And again, you know, you can think about chains that serve ice cream, right? It's a, all the usual suspects that you might, you might expect. Um, those, uh, those tend to do better. And again, I would ask at least for the chains that have, that are, that are corporate owned versus franchisees. It would be interesting to know whether it's a corporate store or a franchisee store. Um, because again, I think that the franchisees have a little bit more latitude in how they can run their stores sometimes. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all that the, uh, the chains had, seem to do a better job in terms of uh, food safety versus the uh, versus the franchisees i think if i'm reading it correctly yeah and i'll throw something out to you that we talked a little bit in the in the last episode so i know about the chains and i know that um for the products that they tested it's pretty unlikely that there are fresh fruits in the in that okay um but for the independents we don't know about. And right. I, I know one of the, the frozen yogurt independent places that we like to go to, here's how I get my strawberry or raspberry or blueberry frozen yogurt. Don, mm. um, they have a yogurt cube, not cube, like, um, block mm-hmm. that goes into a machine yep. and then they scoop out a bunch of frozen, um, fruits that are, were not cooked ever, ever, ever <laughs> because they were, I, you know, IQ have frozen blueberries. Oh yeah. And they drop it in and they mix it up. And so to again, like like, norovirus with that, with those. Oh, for sure. But would I expect that there's going to be coliform in my frozen yogurt? Yeah. 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 From time to time for sure. Right. Right. So, so if that, like, I think that's part of the story here, right. Is five independent shops out of nine. I want to know frozen yogurt. It's not frozen yogurt. It's not frozen yogurt. Yep. And none of it's ice cream. <laughs> which is <laughs> right, like yeah. which is they're like what they're uh, you know espousing this you know microbiological requirement for ice cream. It's totally different. So, so anyway, that was yeah, really really interesting. And, and who knows? Maybe we blew a scoop here. Maybe they're not going to run the story. Um, but I I wanted to have this conversation because I thought it was like it was a fun. You know, I I sat in my back deck 
uh, and had a conversation with this producer and had this, you know, I was like, this is a great conversation for us to have on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And it was and it was I had also had it. And again, this guy was good. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't looking for a hatchet job or at least he didn't get I didn't get the impression he was looking to do a hatchet job. He just really wanted to do a story and get the facts right, which whatever they're trying to do, um, that's the right tone to take with a scientist. (laughs) Right. Um, So but yeah, it was I was an enjoyable conversation. I spent some time actually trying to dig into the uh, uh, seven CFR uh, 58.648 Ben uh, microbiological requirements for ice cream, um, uh, which is the USDA uh, requirements there, uh, which again would not apply to food service, but which are which were interesting. So I yeah I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed prepping uh, for this uh, f- this conversation with this this gentleman and uh, and it also uh, coincidentally uh, allowed me to prep for the show. So yeah. So I want to the good good. I want to jump to something that's not food safety that uh, is a much larger global look at what you and I just did. Okay. Um, so I put something into uh, the um, folder yesterday called the windscreen phenomenon. Why your car is no longer covered in de- dead insects. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So so here's the here's the thing. You and I just this is the, what I want to. I guess highlight or have a quick conversation about. I know nothing about entomology, Don. Like I even even the pest control stuff that I know from retail and food service and all that kind of stuff is not real entomology. I mean, I know about controlling things, and and even the the issue of um, how do you manage you know insect infestations. But I would not pretend to know anything about entomology. So I saw this. This um, it's from the Telegraph, uh, a UK newspaper, and it was shared on Facebook by um, someone who I know who's like a science uh, science communicator, and it was just like one of these links. And so I looked at it, and I was like, you know, this is interesting. I don't know anything about it. How do they present this issue? Um, of you know why your car is no longer covered in dead insects, and and so it's essentially at the root of this conversation or the root of the story is there are less insects than there were 20 years ago. And everyone who drives should know this because you don't see bug splatter on your windshield, right? Like that's, that, that's essentially the, the message here. So, um, if from this article, an amateur German group called the Krefeld Entomologic Society has been monitoring insect numbers at 100 nature reserves in Western Europe since the 1980s. Although there were annual fluctuations, they discovered that 2013 numbers began to plummet by nearly 80%. Experts mostly blame intensive agriculture for the use of pesticides over the last 50 years. Um, then they're, you know, they go on to um, beekeepers and this discussion of beekeeping, um, you know, a quote from a guy named Chris Short, Shortle, an entomologist uh, from Rothamsted, which is uh, a, um, uh, a research group. Um, he says the loss of insects from our windscreens is a well-noted anecdote. However, actually demonstrating it is very tricky, if not impossible. Um, it, anyway, this this whole thing was really like I read it and I was, I've been like putting my esoteric academic hat on every once in a while when I'm reading things. And I, I, I read this thing like thinking maybe this is how someone in the not food safety world reads our stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't know the answer to this. Like, I don't know if there's more bugs or less bugs. I don't know if it, you know, I read something else uh, as I d- dove into this a little more from AAAS that maybe, um, and I put this into show notes as well, um, maybe the cars are more aerodynamic. But it's really fascinating to me because this this is something that people could see, right? Like every day if there's bug splats on your windshield versus not bug splats, then, then there must be, you know, if there's less now, then that means there must be less insects, which means, you know, there must be more pesticides, you know, whatever, whatever the path is as someone who's not a scientist to follow to get into this. And I don't, I mean, truthfully, I, I mean, I don't know the answer. I just, as I was reading it as a non entomologist and trying to find like, how would I evaluate this if I was if this was a food safety thing, well, let me look into the peer-reviewed literature. And the AAAS coverage of this basically says there isn't much. There's not much to go on. Um, there aren't long-term – a lot of long-term records of insect abundance. And may, so so maybe there's something here, but maybe there isn't, but we don't know. And and I, anyway, I just thought it was kind of like analogous to like what we just went through in our conversation about the safety of frozen yogurt – and spending, you know, half an hour on that, I, I wouldn't do the same thing because I'm not an entomologist. I just going to read this article and be like, hey, there's less bugs. Well, that's a problem. Well, and but here's the thing. As a scientist and, you know, I, I had some had some really uh, good con- I've been having some good conversations with my my research team about experimental design and, and thinking about, like, how do you rule out? How do you because science really fundamentally is all about, like, how not to trick yourself into believing something is true. Right. And so how do we know? Like, so there's all sorts of things. Right. Like how. I, I bet, I bet that there's way more screen uh, splatter um, uh, on automobile screens now than say 200 years ago, Ben. Right, would, would right. you agree with that? Because I guess would what? Agree Two, with that. 200 years ago, we didn't have automobile screens, right? Right. Now, right. what about 100 years ago? Well, we had automobile screens, but those cars were quite different, right? And they gr- drove at different speeds. Um, you, ha- I mean, so there's all sorts of things you need to think about. Maybe, maybe the insects are just not. Uh, around the roads, maybe the design of the roads are different. Maybe car speeds are different. Maybe windshield angles are different. As you pointed out, I, I really thought you were gonna. You, this was gonna be a turns out story where you no. told me it turns out it's about uh, the windshield uh, design is different, right? Like I would for sure go and talk to people that design cars because I'm sure people that design cars think about things like that, right? And so, yeah, there's so many. It's not, it's, and, and then the other thing is too, it's like, well, okay, so you think there's less splatter on your windshield now than before, but that's what you think, That's right? your perception. Like, exactly. Yeah, that may not be, even be true. Your perception may not even be true. So, yeah. Maybe so, there's more bugs bouncing. Right. And not splatting. And right. Yeah. Because, or, or what, yeah, absolutely. And, um, and it was funny as I read this, I had, like, I caught myself because I, I like, drive all the time. And I remember in my previous experiences having to scrape bug splatter off my windshield. And now I can't remember actually doing that. And my car hasn't, you know, maybe hasn't changed, but I'm also driving totally differently than I was before. I drive to work on no highways and you know, you know what I mean? Like right. at lower, slower speeds, right? Lower speeds. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm at stoplights all the time. I'm not driving on, on the freeway, uh, to, to get places like, like I was. And maybe I just like, like, um, I read something a while ago cause I thought I had this, um, 
this is a perfect perception issue. Have you ever heard about the perception that um, people, th- some people feel that when they are around light standards like streetlights, that they go off? Do you know about yeah. this? No, but I know like, what you're, what you're, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, right. Like, like, and, and then, so, so you have this like individual feeling that, oh my gosh, I must have some control or these things. I'm always, you know, you know, see them and that, that you're different from somebody else. This is totally like what, you know, uh, the, the, how this, how this, these perceptions happen. And then, you know, you, you, you Google lights going out when I'm standing close to it, what could cause that. And then you see that all these other people have this exact same perception and that people who study electricity is like, yeah, lights go out all the time. Sometimes people are standing beside them. And guess what? You are, you, all the times that you were standing next to a street light and it didn't go out, you didn't notice that. You didn't notice it. Exactly. <laughs> because exactly. it didn't go out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's why, that's why I don't, like do interviews on perception of me standing close to lights, right? Like I'm not an expert in that area. So I'm not going to do any interviews on or, or publish any research or even do any research on whether the wind wood screens are full of bugs. Um, you know, all, our experiences are, are largely anecdotal. And we, and like you said, we don't, we only notice things when we notice them, not when we don't. Right. Uh, um, anyway, like I just, I, I saw this and I was like, you know, I'm going to follow this through because I don't know like what, what the answers are here. And maybe there are less, maybe there aren't, maybe I just, maybe just reading this article made me think about it and I would never have thought about it before. But, but this is like, there are people who are reading the, um, any, any of the popular media coverage of, uh, of food safety things that are, you know, probably like, Oh yeah, well I've, I've eaten food that I picked up off the floor and didn't get sick. Right. Like, but aren't, aren't aware of all the science and research that goes behind it. And I, this isn't me like complaining about that. Like that, in fact, that's, it's the opposite of that. I don't think they, that people do care or should care about it, but it's, it's more of a recognition of, we can't take these, um, the stuff that we put out there as like, everyone's going to understand it all the time. And, and, and that, and we can't, we can't just like lament it and be like, Mm-mm, whatever. We just have to do something about it. He agreed. Agreed. Um, so, so anyway, sorry for the, for the rant. I just thought this was like a, this is me like Sunday afternoon when I didn't have hockey thinking about what, this is what I do now, Don. Now, but don't worry, hockey season starts soon, so I'll only have time to think about um, outbreaks and not the esoteric stuff. Okay, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Um, okay, so we, I, I know you haven't watched it yet, and I want to connect that last conversation to food evolution. Yes. Because it's the same to me. Um, I, I'm skeptical about everything that our – world of food safety, food science puts out there because I think it's going to be perceived poorly. I think there are going to be a lot of cheerleaders on how phenomenal food evolution is. Mm -hmm. I'm not one of them. Mm -hmm. I think it's the same as all the other stuff. Let me have it. Let me have it. Yeah. School school me, Dr. Chapman. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so it is, um, it's, it's, uh, a hour and a half long documentary on, genetically modified foods and, and i'm and great. It's narrated I, by oh like somebody i don't think it's like uh it's neil degrasse tyson right oh neil degrasse tyson it is never mind i was like i know the name yeah, yeah. um i forget like and that's famous much, famous food evolution gmo expert neil degrasse right, tyson. Neil deGrasse tyson who also knows about the cosmos yeah um 
But so, I mean, essentially it is, there are, there's a lot of good science uh, that talks about risk and talks about safety. And then there's a lot of people who don't understand or don't believe it. And that's the hour and a half long discussion. Ah. And, but what, what I think where I think it falls apart is doing what, and this will sound totally biased to, to what you and I do, but no one in that entire documentary talks about risk. They talk about absolute safety or absolute no, no safety. They don't talk about uncertainties and how we can manage uncertainties. There isn't a discussion. In fact, the um, it, there isn't a discussion about why someone might perceive this as a risk and why we other people might not. No one talks about like no one defines risk. And that I think is the, is the missing piece here because I just think it's the same, like, and I, I included, we'll include some links, um, to this, but, um, uh, Marion Nessel, uh, you know, f- you know, very famous, uh, um, uh, professor who studies nutrition and food, um, at, uh, NYU. NYU? Yep. Um, uh, she, she, uh, blogged about it after she wrote it or after she uh, watched it, she was in a 10 second, um, clip. She asked for her clip to be removed. She calls it GMO propaganda film, food evolution. Um, you know, so she, I'll read from her blog. I've asked repeatedly to have my short interview clip removed from this film. The director refuses. He believes his film is fair and balanced. I do not. Um, in my 10 second clip, I say that I'm unaware of convincing evidence that eating GM foods is unsafe. This is what I said, but it's usually out of context. Uh, and anyway, she, uh, she kind of hammers, um, this idea that the film, um, Oh, the film hammers hard on these three out of context points. GMOs are safe. Anyone who thinks otherwise is anti-science, ignorant and stupid. Organic foods are bad and proponents of organic foods are deceitful. And I don't, I don't agree with that either. Um, I think that the, the film, the film is beautiful Mm. and I like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think the approach, uh, to, to focus really narrowly in on one issue is a great approach. I just think that they, they started too far into the story, which is not answering what safety or what risk is. Um, and so, so anyway, you can well, find, and again, yeah. And so we'll, we'll definitely link to, uh, the webpage for the movie. We will link to, to Marion's, um, blog post. Yeah. And I, and I mean, and, and again, there's some good, she makes some good points. Um, the obvious question who paid for this film, the official answer of the Institute of food technologists, uh, Ben, you and I have talked about, uh, IFT, um, you know, they, they are going to play this game and they are going to play this game from a particular point of view and aside. And again, Marion goes on to say in her, in her blog post, IFT is a professional association of food scientists and technologists involved in the processed food industry. I have been a member of it for years. It's journal food technology is useful for keeping up with what the food industry is doing. Right. Um, right, right. So, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, and we've, we've talked before about, uh, you know, I, I think, I think IAFP, uh, does a much better job of talking about food safety than IFT does talking about food science. And I understand like there's a, we as food scientists, uh, feel beset upon by, you know, how, how can you, you know, process food is bad and the food industry and blah, blah, blah. But it's just like, 
you know, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. It's not it like is. processed food is bad. It's not like processed food is good, right? There are advantages to processing food and there are disadvantages. And it turns out, Ben, I don't know if you know this, it's it's complicated and it depends, right? And 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 but to, but to start off with the idea that we're going to make a movie about how GMOs are safe, and if you don't believe that, you are ignorant and stupid. Um, you know that's that's just it's just it's just not fair, right? It's not it's not fair to the subject matter. Ultimately, it's not fair to the viewers of the film, right? I mean, if there, yeah, it's and there's no such thing as safety. Everything. Everything has some risk. It's it's how do we talk about that risk? How do we manage that risk? I think with GMO foods, it's more complicated because, okay, so what is the risk to me from eating this food in terms of allergic reaction or, or unforeseen consequences? But also... What are what are the ecological consequences, right? Of if you modify a, a microorganism or you modify a plant and then put it loose in the wild, there's a possibility something could go wrong. Um, and again, I, I realize that there's counter arguments to all of these arguments, but but to not debate them. Uh, I, I think is uh, is foolish. Just like, I mean, again, neither of us are experts in climate change. I think that the climate change is pretty well settled science. But but if you're going to lay out the case for why climate change is real, um, you should be able to do that uh, scientifically and, and talk about risk and uncertainty, which I believe the climate modelers do, right? There's there's uncertainty in everything, right? Right, so. right, right. I it, Similar to... To the political situation everywhere, not just in the U.S., the this idea of you know there are sides to safety and food is is just prevalent, right? Like like it's it's it, it they are as you said these arguments or these conversations are nuanced, but it doesn't even in an hour and a half film um, you can't they or at least the the director and producers didn't have that nuanced conversation. I, you know, I, I, um, I look at food incorporated as another, you know, public popular culture, um, type movie. I, I don't remember. I don't know if you're familiar with that or if you remember it, but it's, um, you know, looks at corporate farming and looks at safety. Um, the Walmart is in, is involved in, you know, uh, about looking at, how they look at farms. I actually thought that was a much, a much better, I don't know, a, a much less like, I, I can see how those who are vehemently opposed to uh, genetically modified foods will look at food evolution and be like, ah, there's another propaganda piece from, from the industry. And, and that's why I think there's a lot of rah, rah on the, in our, in the food science world. Like I, I'm, you know, I've seen some, uh, some of the lists that I sit on, some messages from folks like we're going to ho- host a screening and and all of our, you know, we're going to host this at our at our university and lots of people are going to come see it and they're going to understand about the world of foods food science and they're going to totally get it. Um, I don't I don't agree. I think that they're they're just going to look at it and be like, oh yeah, that reinforces what I thought. Um, and maybe this is again like us or me sort of saying, Hey, we're, we're kind of good at this. And we look at it differently. I don't think that the producers of this movie were risk communicators, right? Like they're, 
the, how, right. however this was directed, they weren't, they, they weren't about trying to have that risk communication conversation, but, but they would, and again, speculation, they would probably tell you that's exactly what they were trying to do. Right. Right. <sighs> uh, so, anyway, hey, you know, but, but good, like, l- let me not like denigrate the whole process. Good for IFT for producing a, a, a movie like this. Good for people trying to have this conversation. More conversations, more dialogue about this is better than than less. Like the you know don't don't take my my critique of this as you shouldn't have done this at all. Like because there we that this is great. Here's how I would have done it differently, and that's why we do a podcast and not a movie. <laughs> Right. Well, it's way less expensive for one thing. It's way less expensive. We, but we also don't get to go to Hawaii because there's a lot of well, we uh, could, on location we, in Hawaii. Well, in the you movie. know, we, well, that's where that's the hotbed of uh, GMO activity. Um, we, you know, we could do a podcast from Hawaii. Um, we could. It would be expensive. We that would uh, it would be we'd have to get a sponsor. I tell you what, if uh, if we if if the if the GMO industry wants us to shill for them and say good things, they can send us to Hawaii. I'll just put that out there. <laughs> Why not? And then we'll say whatever we want. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> to, to promote something that you and I are doing. Um, oh yes, yes. Uh, uh, FDA uh, regional meeting uh, is is coming up in a few weeks, and someone is bringing us to Minnesota, where we're going to do this on stage live, which I am still. I think I showed this in the last episode. I am uh, crazy nervous about, um, mainly because this is a podcast where we're gonna. I like. I can't just wear my. Um, uh, Toronto Blue Jays baseball hat and not have a shower and wear, which I am right now. Um, am I, um, my shorts, uh, and, and do it, uh, at, at home. We're actually going to have to well, do this. Well, every, a- everything about that is not true except for the at home part. You can, you can, you can not take a shower. You cannot shave. You can wear shorts. You can wear a Toronto Blue Jays hat. Okay. You just have to do it in Minnesota. I will. You know what? Maybe I will. Maybe I'll do that in Minnesota. And and I think you know we could calculate because now we have uh, like two points to determine a straight line, Ben. Like like now I'm in New Jersey, and then in another month I'm going to be in Minnesota, um, and then um, I can calculate in another month where I'll be like somewhere in the mid like like in the in the like mountain time zone, and then next time I'll be podcasting from California, and then next time I'll be podcasting from the ocean, and then the ocean, and then Hawaii. <laughs> so yeah, so I mean you know on that extra appellation um you know i'm moving the right direction <laughs> yeah that that is true um and we're we're totally if, if more people want to bring us to, right. to go see to go, go do this uh live and in person i think we can uh we'll figure we'll we'll see how this one in in september goes um but i'd be open to that yeah although i'm nervous about it but if you know if i'm not nervous about something i don't i don't like put time into it and sometimes the nerves, sometimes the nerves help. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not nervous about it, but I, that I just don't give a crap yeah. anymore about anything. <laughs> well, that's, hey, that's good. That's, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's where things are at. But it'll uh, be fun to see you be nervous. It's, yeah. it's, it's late enough in the day. I suppose we could start drinking. <laughs> why, why not? I might. Yeah. Wait, right I hear now. that helps people. Well, not now. No, it's a little <laughs> early for me. Um, but in Minnesota, right? Because we go on at like four. Yeah. Well, that's... so we could have like a three martini lunch. Okay. All right. <laughs> I don't, I don't think, better and better. I, I don't think that would help. I think that would make it worse. 
That might help. <laughs> um, hey, so we have some follow-up that we should oh, probably we, get we to. we definitely have some listener follow-up that I, that I definitely want to get to. Um, so, um, uh, yeah. So uh, should we talk about melon slicing? Yeah, let's talk about melon okay. slicing. So this is um, – uh, says uh, it's it's a uh, listener feedback. Uh, please share all details freely. Uh, this is from listener Todd. Uh, he writes, "Hey guys, I started listening to your show fairly recently via cross contamination from Roderick on the line." And my response to that is, "I will be." Cross contaminated by Roderick on the line, you know, anytime. <laughs> anytime. Man. That is my favorite kind of uh, cross contamination. So uh, he says, uh, uh, I have a question about the proper way to cut up a melon. I'm not sure if you discussed it before. I think, Todd, I think we have, but uh, we will always talk about it again. Um, uh, he says, uh, several uh, previous outbreaks uh, linked to melons. Uh, I have some precautions. My usual process goes like this. I don't wash the melons because uh, because washing melons is like washing raw chicken. Well, you're, you're wrong on that, Todd, but we'll come back to that. Um, he slices the melon in half. He scoops out the seeds. He rinses and dries the knife. And then from the inside going out, cut each sl- half into slices, then only touching the flesh of the melon with the knife, cut off the rind from each slice, discard the rind, um, uh, slide uh, uh, or place each uh, slice onto a clean plate, rinse the slices with water, rinse and dry the cutting board, cut each slice into chunks on the clean cutting board, and he's done. So um, let me... Let me offer uh, to listeners, and uh, this has already been shared with uh, with Todd, but I will offer my perspective on how I would do it. Um, uh, I, I think he's he's on to some things, um, some right things, uh, but but it's not. He gets some of the details wrong. Like so, for example, he talks about um, outbreaks being linked to E. coli. I think actually melons uh, were linked to Salmonella and Listeria. So, um, uh, but but again, so so my perspective on the cutting process. Um, so cantaloupe and other melons have a hard rind. And so with these products, unlike, let's say, raspberries or blueberries, you can actually give them a good scrub. So uh, get a good vegetable scrub brush with nice, uh, stiff, scrubby bristles. You can clean the outside uh, in a sink. Um, don't use soap because soap is for cleaning hands, uh, but just use uh, water and uh, and some elbow grease. Um, and and I'll, I want to jump in there. Yeah, sure. Um, we'll link to a abstract from... Um, uh, Tracy Parnell, Linda Harris, and Trevor Suslow from 2005, a uh, paper uh, titled Reducing Salmonella on Cantaloupes and Honeydew Melons Using Wash Practices Applicable to Post-Harvest Handling, Food Service, and Consumer Preparation, um, where um, the esteemed uh, Dr. Harris and uh, the esteemed Dr. Suslow and Tracy Parnell, who I don't know. Um, uh, I'm showed- sure she is, she's esteemed, too. She esteemed absolutely uh, showed a um, almost one log reduction of salmonella by using a scrub brush. Cool. So, so not not only is is Don's suggestion um, a good one from uh, you know uh, theory, but uh, but practically uh, we we have data to to back that up. Yep. Yeah, and and the other thing too is that um, you can also, and I didn't I didn't mention this to Todd, but I will mention it to the listeners, and and again it's mentioned in the Parnell et al. Uh, abstract. You can use some chlorine in the wash water. Um, 
I think the general sense from extension folks is that you we shouldn't be recommending to consumers to chlorinate wash water or to wash melons with chlorine. Uh, right. I think honestly, if you did it right and you you got the concentrations right, it would be perfectly fine um, because again, the chlorine is only contacting the rind, which is not the part that you're going to eat. So again, we won't get into the specifics of how you would do that. And you know, I, I'm always a little hesitant uh, on chlorine just because uh, the concentrations matter. It's kind of like why Ann Landers never publishes recipes in her column because inevitably somebody will make a, a mistake and teaspoons will turn to tablespoons or vice versa, and it'll mess up the recipe. So again, uh, chlorine is, you can use chlorine, but you have to get the concentrations right and, and making it from household bleach. You know, again, it's, it's, it's fraught with some complications, but, yeah, but certainly yeah. it can be done safely, but just, you know, proceed with uh, care and check your math. Um, so, uh, so uh, scrub the outside and then, um, uh, and then cut it as you would normally. Um, uh, once it's cut, I suggest eating promptly. I think Todd goes through some gyrations in terms of how he's doing the cutting, which from the point of view of cutting from the inside out is good. If you if you start with a clean knife and you go from the outside in, you are driving contamination into the melon. Um, but of course, the first cut is going to have to be from the outside in. So so certainly wash the outside, and then if you want to uh, adopt Todd's method from cutting from the outside in, uh, once you once you uh, wash uh, the knife, you can you can do that again. You have to weigh the risks of uh, food poisoning versus the risks of cutting yourself with a knife. Um, so there's a kind of some trade off there uh, to think about. Um, my main advice is once the fruit is cut, eat it promptly. If you're going to refrigerate it, uh, make sure your refrigerator is at 40 degrees or less, um, and then eat it within a couple of days. Um, if you don't know your refrigerator temperature, eat it right away or, or within a day, and, and, and also go buy yourself a refrigerator thermometer. Um, uh, yeah, so again, as I said from, from before, uh, if you don't wash the outside or you don't try to sanitize the outside, that first cut will uh, cross-contaminate. And again, there's research that, show, that shows this, that, that you can actually drive contamination from the rind into the inner portion, which again is probably what happened in some of these outbreaks at least. So um, uh, Todd's uh, procedure of rinsing the slices with water may have some benefit, uh, but I think it's going to be uh, fairly uh, fairly minimal. Um, the the idea that you shouldn't rinse a melon just like you shouldn't rinse a chicken is is not really uh, that doesn't really the math doesn't add up in, in my opinion. I think chicken is very likely to be contaminated depending upon uh, which organism and and which uh, chicken versus melons, which are much less likely to be contaminated. So that's uh, that's uh, kind of my, my I take. Do you have any uh, uh, melon uh, advice beyond that? No, I, I want to highlight um, one other uh, paper that I don't have, but we'll get the link for on um, if you're going to refrigerate and save it for later. Comment. You and Michelle did some great stuff that I used in almost every talk about refrigeration of cut uh, melons and just showing, um, you know, log increases of listeria even at. Um, you know, in between 41 and, and 45, some modeling and, and some contour plotting, I think it's yep, called. Yep. Um, so yeah. And, it, and in it, fact, I want to say I looked at those contour plots as I wrote my message to Todd. So we will definitely link to uh, Daniluk et al. Uh, growth, modeling the growth of Listeria monocytogenes on cut cantaloupe, honeydew, and watermelon. That's by Daniluk uh, Friedrich and Schaffner. That's uh, Lori Friedrich, uh, who was uh, famous for her uh, her interview with uh, on, on the declining state of labs uh, in, in the state of Florida. Yes. So. Well, and 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, shout out to Lori, who who also um, uh, we had a, we've had a project with her related to cantaloupes and, ah. and retail sampling, um, which for the first five weeks of the project, we messed up dates and shipping. Um, and and as a as a thanks to her for going through all of our uh, messiness on the um, sampling side, um, she she received uh, some chocolate covered strawberries from us, uh, which she thanked me for. Nice. But uh, she, she's awesome. Um, she's great. Uh, yeah. So, uh, shout out to, to Lori. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, no, nothing, nothing to add. Um, but, but glad, you know, glad that people who listen to us are thinking about how, how do I handle my food? Yeah. Like, what, what do I have to do special about my melons? Yep. Absolutely. Thanks. So thanks, Todd. Thanks for emailing. Cool. Um, second piece of follow-up is eggs. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I'll, I'll read this. Um, and, and again, I think, uh, wow, well, you gotta, I don't know if we need to say names, but, um, a, a journalist from a, <laughs> did, she didn't say it was off the record. She did not. Okay. Story over at men's health magazine, uh, uh, Brielle Gregory, uh, asked you a couple of questions about eggs, uh, or three, one, do small farms in the U S still have to abide by the rule to wash eggs in hot water and soap before selling Two, my editor has seen eggs out at farmer's markets. Is this legal? And three, how long is it safe to leave your eggs out for? Um, and so you, uh, you tackled her, uh, her questions, um, and very nicely in depth. I don't know if this was, uh, if this is a cut and paste job from a previous question, <laughs> it's awesome. If not, wow, great job. No, uh, this and- is, uh, I, you know, I've, I've in an attempt to maybe procrastinate doing real work. Uh, I spent, I spent quite some time responding to Brielle's question, uh, as well as, um, to the, the question from the earlier person about, uh, frozen yogurt. So yeah. And, and I, I use this as an opportunity to kind of dig in and educate myself because like, I, it's like, I didn't know, I didn't know exactly what, like I wasn't sure, I wasn't really sure what the answer was, right? And so I did a little bit of research, and it turns out, again, it's kind of complicated, right? So um, as I write to Brielle, uh, the regulation of eggs is complex and confusing. Um, if, if you find my email message complex and confusing, uh, I blame uh, FDA and USDA. So it's... Uh, I'm oh, is you okay? Getting, yeah, Did you just getting, fall? No, I'm, I dropped my phone on my keyboard. I'm getting a, ah. I'm getting a phone call uh, from uh, from somebody, but uh, I just uh, I just uh, uh, hit uh, hit decline on the phone call. So I think it might be a, a person calling about an appointment later today. So all right. Um, so uh, the FDA and oh my God, eggs are it's, so confusing, right? Yeah. Uh, FDA issued a final rule entitled Prevention of Salmonella Enteritidis in Shell Eggs During Production, Storage, and Transport. And this is codified in uh, 21 CFR 118. The the new 2009 FDA regulation does not apply to producers with fewer than 3,000 laying hens. So this is is mind-boggling, Ben. I like to think that like it's so it's so confusing right like FDA who are the people so USDA regulates the safety of processed meat and poultry FDA regulates everything else but FDA i guess because of center for veterinary medicine regulates on farm egg production right and so right right 
Okay, so the so the FDA regulation does not apply to producers with fewer than three thousand laying hens, uh, which is less than one percent of, of all eggs. The regulation does not apply to producers, I guess, of any size that that sell all of their eggs directly to consumers, right? So yep. I suppose farmers you, market, yeah. Folks. I suppose if you have four thousand laying hens, but sell all direct to consumer, then you're also exempt from the regulation. Okay, that regulation. Um, requires preventive measures during the production of eggs um, and, and subsequent refrigeration, storage, and transportation. However, these are not these regulations. So these regulations relate to farms that have laying hens that 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 produce eggs. They do not cover facilities that process eggs. And by process eggs, I mean including not just cracking and making pasteurized eggs, right? But these are also shell egg processing facilities, okay? So if you wash, grade, and pack shell eggs for the table egg market, so eggs to go into grocery stores, okay, those facilities are regulated by USDA, not FDA, and they're regulated under 7 CFR 56. Um, The 750 uh, CFR 56 is the regulation that requires washing of eggs in hot greater than or equal to 90 degrees Fahrenheit water, okay? So prior to doing this research, I did not know that this was the case, okay? So um, so, so the, the short, to come back to Brielle's questions, number one, if the farm has fewer than 1,000 laying hens or if they sell all their eggs directly to the consumers, no, those small farms don't have to abide by the rule to wash their eggs in hot water, okay? Because that rule about washing eggs in hot water does not apply to farms. It right, only, right. It only applies to shell egg processing facilities, okay, which is, which is a different entity than a farm. Um, uh, uh, my, eggs, my editor has seen eggs out at a farmer's market. Is this legal? And, of course, it's a legal question, so I say I'm not a lawyer. Um, but as I read the FDA regulation, okay, it's 21 CFR 118, this is allowed as long as they meet the exemption. So, in other words, you don't have to refrigerate your eggs, okay, if you are this uh, 3,000 or less eggs or sell directly to the consumer. So the refrigeration requirement, independent of the hot water requirement, the refrigeration requirement is only uh, for um, uh, small, quote, unquote, small farms. Um, And then number three, how long is it safe safe to leave your eggs out for? Now, this is more complicated, right? So under the new FDA regulation, producers must hold and transport eggs at or below 45 degrees Fahrenheit. Not 40 or 41, like it says in the food code, but 45, because why not? Um, 45 degrees Fahrenheit ambient temperature beginning 36 hours after the time of lay. Okay, FDA considers the 36-hour clock for refrigeration to begin at the end of the egg collection shift. So let's say the producer collects eggs from 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. The 36-hour clock begins at 5 p.m. on Tuesday for eggs laid between 5 p.m. on Monday and 5 p.m. on Tuesday. Thus, those eggs will have to be refrigerated no later than 5.30 a.m. on Thursday. 
this is mind-bogglingly complicated, but but this but this is the nature of regulations, right? Is you have to spell all this out, right? You can't just have nebulous words in your regulations, and so that's why that's why the complexity is there. Um, so so that's like thirty-six hours and blah 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 and time of lay and all that. Um, however, I cut to the chase and I say the general advice I give the consumers is that foods like raw meat and eggs should be out of temperature control for no more than two hours. So, so you know, it could be uh, 36 uh, hours, which actually means uh, like 48 hours, or it could be two hours, Ben. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> oh, Don, awesome. So a couple things I want to follow up on. One one is, so the, the question um, that uh, Men's Health asks um, is dependent on how so the second question of is it legal is really dependent on not just that fda um egg regulation but also whether that farmer's market is regulated under the food code and in some jurisdictions they are well and i didn't even get into that but you're absolutely right right. yes and so i just want to come back to one thing you mentioned food code so the food code does explicitly take shell eggs and um treat them differently. Right. So, so they can, uh, arrive at 45 degrees Fahrenheit and they can be stored at 45 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, so if that, so someone, you know, that 41, 40, 45 eggs, you know, eggs are, are, uh, are out there, but yeah, I mean, so in my state, um, the, the food code is not applied at farmer's markets and it would be totally like expected and, you know, uh, allowed to have, um, eggs displayed at retail at these farmer's markets, at um, you know, at, at ambient temperatures above 45 degrees in other States. And I think I'll guess at this, but I think Virginia is one of these where farmer's markets vendors who are, um, who are, you know, retailers would have to refrigerate their eggs, um, because they're like held under the food code. So it'd have to be at 45 degrees. So it's a tough, that's a tough one. Right. The other well, thing that and, I, and, and now that you mention it, like the 45 actually does make sense from a science point of view, because the, the primary risk in, in shell eggs that we're worried about is salmonella. <clears throat> right. Right. And salmonella won't grow, uh, 45 or below. Right. So, right, right, right. so yeah. whereas listeria, uh, you know, which is not a problem in shell eggs, as far as we know, um, uh, will grow even below 45 and even down to 40, et cetera. So that, that's the reason why 45 45 is codified um, is because there is a specific pathogen linked to that specific commodity. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, but it's uh, like you said in your answer to three, it depends and it's complicated. Um, the The other one that I would wanted to, to highlight here, my, my only um, small addition is that all the storage stuff really becomes moot depending on how you cook those eggs. Right. Like even if you had salmonella growth um, from from what I what I can see in the literature, you're not going to get to this like seven log increase um, in salmonella enteritidis inside of the shell egg. Um, And so that you would end up uh, essentially cooking that out if you're preparing that egg above 145 degrees Fahrenheit. Right. And so uh, part of the reason why the FDA uh, issued this, this new, this 2009 rule has to do with a risk assessment that they did for salmonella in shell eggs. And 
you know, th- this is this was actually the the earlier version of the risk assessment, which was, and we'll link to the one that was published in two thousand and nine. There was an earlier version published, I think, in nineteen ninety nine, which is, I think, the first example of a risk assessment done uh, for regulatory purposes in the United States. Um, the The issue with eggs is that there can be salmonella inside the, and we've talked about this before on the podcast as well. But there can be salmonella inside the egg at the time it is laid, and those salmonella are in the white of the egg. And then what happens is that there's a a yolk membrane that separates the white from the yolk, and that membrane breaks down over time as a function of temperature. And so as eggs, so, so the eggs may have salmonella in the inside, in the white of the egg, as the uh, uh, egg sits out of temperature, that membrane around the yolk breaks down. Eventually, it breaks down to the point where the salmonella that are in the white, they're not able to grow in the white because the white contains <clears throat> natural antimicrobials uh, like lysozyme and, and things like that that stop the salmonella from growing or you know, stop it from growing but don't kill it. And then that yolk uh uh, membrane breaks down, the salmonella can move from the white to the yolk, and then once they're in the yolk, then they can start to grow, and then they can reach high levels, um, and as the levels go up, the risk increases. Again, all of that uh, offset by the fact of, of if you hard cook your eggs, um, you have, uh, uh, you have uh, you've, you've essentially eliminated that risk. You've, you've given a, you know, a multi-log, uh, multi-log reduction, but this is why it is uh, it is so complicated, right? And it's wh- and we, why we have the refrigeration requirements in this country um, now, um, uh, and why it, they don't have it in some other countries, and and again, why it's it probably results in some risk. But again, if you're if you always eat your eggs cooked hard, uh, you know you can you can tolerate that that increase. So again, just just an example of how complex um, food safety can be, and and fun. Right. Well, like for me, I mean, if you if for you me love, too, if you love talking about uh, the kinetics of uh, yolk membrane breakdown, man, <laughs> I I am all about that. And in fact, it's so funny. Yolk the yolk membrane breakdown kinetics. All of this is based on some data out of Tom Humphrey's lab in the UK that was like really just I don't want to say poor quality data, but it was quite. It was not. It wasn't clean enough for for Tom to want to publish it. And so, uh, but he gave it to uh, the model at USDA and FDA, and uh, they made a model from that. But it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, some, it's some really kind of, I wouldn't say sketchy data, but it's, it's, some, it's some, you know, it's not clear-cut data. And so, you have, but, but again, that was the best data we had. So that's what you do in risk assessment is you take the, you take the data you have and you use that to try to make, uh, to make some decisions. So, Absol- Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's like uh, bugs on your windshield. Exactly like bugs on the windshield, man. <laughs> uh, hey, so do you have do you have a hard out? What do you got going on? Um, time for one more. Uh, that's a good question. So what I got is uh, uh, I so I have uh, I am meeting somebody at a local uh, uh, Starbucks um, oh, yeah? uh, at noon. So uh, I I have a little bit more time. Yes. Okay, I got one. I got one more. Okay. So last week, uh, no, two weeks ago, week ago, Friday, I was, uh, sitting in a faculty meeting. Have you been to those before? You, uh, you know uh, about those? They're awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, and- I'm going to experience my first faculty meeting of the fall on, uh, September 8th. And, uh, I, I can't, I literally cannot wait. I, so 
Uh, I don't complain. I don't like to complain about a lot of the stuff. I, I'm, I feel very fortunate to be able to do what I do and really pick what I do every day. And the trade-off is four times a year. That's it. Nice. Um, I have a, uh, two hour, uh, faculty meeting and these are necessary things, right? Like, like there's stuff on two factor authentication. There Whoa. are, you know, things like don't, you know, like, and we got to make some decisions on who's going to uh, staff our, our tailgate booth uh, during, during ag day like this. And I'm not making light of these. Those are things like, yeah, we probably do need to get together so I can. So anyway, um, uh, two weeks ago I had a faculty meeting um, and I received a, uh, uh, a text from I, I don't know if she's friend of the pod. She she knows me from uh, um, from the from the Twitter. Um, Marin McKenna. Um, you might know her from Wired and National Geographic. She uh, is a science writer. Oh, cool! Um, and is really like I love I love her stuff. Um, I'm like a fan. Um, she she wrote um, a couple of books. Um, one actually, I would I would recommend this. Um, to to any food safety student who is learning about outbreaks and might not, you know, not every school's got um, good public health epidemiology classes. Marin wrote a book back in 2004 um, looking at um, CDC and how they track diseases. And it was really focused around bioterrorist attacks. Um, but, uh, really highlighted, I mean, uh, I'm looking at her website, Ebola, AIDS, anthrax, SARS, E. coli 157H7, Legionnaire's disease, but, but really, un, uh, um, peeling back the, the idea of epidemiology and what CDC does. Fantastic book. Yeah. So, so beating back the devil on the front lines with disease detectives of the epidemic, uh, intelligence service, 2004. Yep. Top 10 science books of 2004, according to amazon.com. Yeah. Great book. Um, she had another book that came out a couple of years ago called Superbug, which is on MRSA. Um, also, also a really good book. And she's got another book. She's not, not sponsoring this podcast, but I'll give her the, the pub. Um, another book that I'm looking forward to called big chicken. Um, Uh yeah. And it's about, um, antibiotics and antibiotic resistance and poultry. Um, anyway, she's just a a really great writer, really, I think does a, a fantastic job of getting to understand the science behind what she's doing. Um, or, or writing about, and, and she's interviewed me for when she was writing, she ran a blog at national geographic. And when she was at wired, she interviewed me anyway, she texts me and says, Hey, I know, you know, about canning, um, New York times has a recipe for tomato jam on their website right now. And on that, um, uh, on that recipe, they don't say anything about acidification. <laughs> oh, excuse Bless me, you. doc. Thank you. Um, and so, so she, so I'm in this faculty meeting. She's like, can you chat? And I was like, you know, I can't, but let me send you texts while I sit in this faculty meeting. About <laughs> can, I, can I first, um, find, uh, the recipe and then I find it. Um, and so it's tomato jam and it's by Allison Roman. Um, uh, we'll link to this in, uh, in show notes, uh, ingredients. And what we're going to link to in show notes has something added to it that wasn't there. So I'm going to, you know, give you the, the punchline at the start of the, jo- at the start of the joke here. But, um, the ingredient list, as I saw it 
back two weeks ago was four pounds of medium red or green tomatoes, one cup of granulated sugar, half a teaspoon of kosher salt, and add-ins, which are optional, see note. And those add-ins are things like cloves of garlic that are chopped or whole chilies, um, you know, a tablespoon of chopped thyme leaves. Anyway, essentially what this recipe is, is to make something that seems like a tomato jam, but isn't really a jam. Mm. It is just tomatoes that are cooked down with a whole bunch of sugar, um, in them, but not enough, um, to, uh, to, to meet the same kind of ratio that we would uh, see in a tested recipe for a tomato jam. And I will co- contrast this recipe um, with one that I'm going to send uh, you here in a second, Dawn, um, from uh, the uh, Elizabeth Andrus mm-hmm. and our, our favorite um, uh, person from the uh, National Center for Home Food Preservation. And she has a recipe for spiced tomato jam, which is three cups of prepared tomatoes and four and a half cups of sugar and a box of powdered pectin. So what, what, um, what Marin sort of email texted me about, and then we, uh, exchanged some emails about was she's like, look, I know about tomatoes and I know about canning cause I like this stuff and I've followed your, your, uh, you know, things that you produce and I know about the national center. I'm concerned that people are going to make this tomato jam and not refrigerate it because, um, it tells you to can the jams. Um, and uh, but it's got no acidification. And I, yep. and she, you know, she basically said to me, like, I know that there's variability, you know, she's, she's on top of this stuff. So, um, she, we chat on the phone, um, and she's like, I'm going to email, um, you know, the folks at New York times. Um, and so she emailed, uh, an editor she knows and, uh, pass this information about acidifications on to um, the uh, author of the recipe um, who said, it's true that canned tomatoes need additional acidity, but this is a jam. Canning tomatoes, blanched, peeled, uncooked, and no sugar added is another piece entirely and one that we're not suggesting here. Um, and Marin follows up and says, I appreciate the rapid response. I'm just going to gently suggest someone should check this with, with an authority, or if you have, then make it clear on the recipe, because I bet other people ask this question. The point of acidifying tomatoes is that they are the lowest acid fruit, um, in your jam guides, matrix shows, and the advice to acidify them is really widely known among canners. So, uh, we go back and forth, Marin and I have a conversation, um, and lo and behold, New York Times adds in one tablespoon of white distilled vinegar or red wine vinegar. So there's some acidification. I don't know if it's validated or not, but I still contend in, as I look at this recipe that they're not actually making a jam. And the reason why that matters is they're not using water activity to control the growth of pathogens and, and specifically um, Clostridium botulinum. Yep. And and so, so anyway, I don't know. Um, and, and we're going to make this jam this week. Uh, and then I'm going to take the pH of it and see what it, what it says. But, uh, but good for great for Marin. And she said, I, you know, I asked her, I was like, are you going to write about this? And she's like, no, nah, I'm getting ready for this book tour. I don't even write regularly on my blog anymore. So you go ahead and, and share the story. So today on my list of things to write about, uh, are, um, the, the epic story of, um, adding vinegar into a New York times recipe. 
Very so, cool. Very yeah, cool. Yeah, so, so great job, Aaron. Thank you. So just to, just to kind of uh, go uh, into the deep uh, deep catalog, uh, my colleague uh, Tom Montville at Rutgers University uh, recently retired. Uh, he's a well-known uh, researcher with uh, in you know for Clostridium botulinum and other things. Um, Prior to joining the faculty at Rutgers, Tom was at USDA, Eastern Regional Research Lab, and he did some of the original work that showed that, in fact, uh, t- the pH of tomatoes uh, was uh, such that uh, you actually did need some acidification to control botulism for these kinds of foods. So, and that, that, reached, that research goes all the way back to the 1980s. So uh, oh, now, awesome. we've, now we brought it uh, full circle. Well, let's uh, let's link that to that uh, in in show notes. Absolutely. If we if we can get it. awesome, cool. Well, Don, I think that's a show. Sounds good to me. What do you think? All right. Well, um, great. See see what happens when I furiously add things into our uh, um, Dropbox folder before a show. Like, and I will run down the times. Today, eight fifty one. Today, eight fifty six. Today, nine oh two, nine oh two, nine oh four. It's like it's like I, I prepared uh, with you know a half hour before the show, and it was good. Um, You and I are going to record another podcast um, probably here in the next couple of weeks. But uh, as I uh, briefly mentioned, um, we are going to do um, a live in-person recording of our podcast on September 19th, um, which is my son Jack's birthday. Um, he will uh, turn uh, nine years old that day, uh, but will be in uh, Minneapolis, uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. I can't actually remember exactly where it is, but don't get those two uh, confused. For the people in that town, we'll get mad at you. Uh, but uh, we'll be we'll be recording the afternoon of the 19th. Uh, and so if you're in the Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, area and you want to go come see us, um, come, come join us and, uh, and we'll be there. And we know there are some friends of the podcast who are already, um, offering to, to buy us free drinks at a reception, which is the true trick of listening to, uh, our podcast is to know that we are open for free drinks at a reception anytime. Anytime. Great. All right, Don. Um, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Sounds good. Bye-bye. So if you don't mind, I'm here. I'm at home all day. If you're able to, before you leave for your lunch, just start uploading the file into oh, yes. Dropbox. Yep. That would be amazing because yep. I'll 
uh, post this later this afternoon. Yep, will do. Um, so today is the 28th. Think we can record the week of the 11th? Uh, How does that look for you? The week of the 11th, I will be in Brazil. Uh, but it's okay, but I but I will be... Ooh, um, I say, I say that I like, oh, I didn't mean like, oh, Don, think of the podcast listeners. I meant, ah, oh, Brazil. That sounds awesome. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's, uh, anyway, it's Brazil. I, 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 I Bernadette asked, I have to go. Um, yeah. so, uh, so I get in early, uh, in the, it's an overnight flight. I get in early on the morning of Thursday, the 14th. So I could do, uh, I could do the, uh, uh I don't know the afternoon of the 14th. So, so are you coming from directly from Brazil to Minneapolis? No. Oh, so wait a sec. So you get, oh, you get home on the 14th. Yeah. Back to Rutgers. Yeah. Ah, or to n- not that you yeah. live at Rutgers. Yeah. I was, con- I was concerned there. I was like, wait, wait, if you get into Brazil on the 14th, how will you get to gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Four, 14th, uh, yeah. yeah. So I could, yeah. the 15th is wide open, wide open. Okay, but the 14th is not, uh, the 14th, but if you, yeah, no, the 14th is also wide open. All right, so let so the problem is the fifteenth is my day to go into work, and and as you oh, know, yeah. sometimes I forget to bring the microphone. So, yeah. um, so let's uh, let's pencil in uh, one o'clock on the fourteenth, and then if that we need be to enough time for you to like, are you going to be coherent? Uh, I'm thinking of well, hopefully I'm going to sleep on the flight. Okay, I like I like where you're going with that. We can so we can be flexible. I I am uh, one o'clock is perfect because I can then. Uh, get to pick Sam up uh, from school if I need to. Oh, is one, it, but would it be better to go earlier or later? No, no, one's actually perfect because I don't have to leave here until three. It gives us two hours. Okay. So I just have a hard out at three. Okay. Um, and that is 134, I think. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. I say that every time like it's a surprise. Um, yeah. Okay. Good. And then if you happen to be delayed or something happens, I'm like wide open on the 15th. Yeah. And and I could, I could do the 15th in the morning if I remember to bring my microphone to work. So perfect. Um, yeah. And then if not, if we, if we end up not doing it, well then, you know, we've got the, the week of the 18th will be in Minneapolis and we'll, we'll work it out. Yeah, exactly. But we could get one in and Minneapolis. We're going to be, holy, we're going to be all over it. Um, I would like to do more of these. Like if we, if, if this goes well, let's, uh, you oh, know, on the road. Let, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let it be known. Literally, I think we're doing it right now. Let it be known that we will go have, have podcasts. We'll travel. Sounds good. Um, cool. Yeah. So if you upload those, um, then we'll get this out this afternoon. Sounds good. I will, uh, I will put this, uh, starting to upload to the Dropbox as l- along with the, uh, links. Uh, I will start on that, uh, post haste. Awesome. Thanks, Don. Have a great lunch. Thanks. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.